This is exactly right. <sighs> We're finally doing a live I Said No Gifts, and I'm inviting you. This thing is going to be wonderful. Some very special guests, gift giveaways, and I'll probably get a haircut the day before so I look really nice. It's June 26th at Dynasty Typewriter, right here in gorgeous Los Angeles, California. That's right, Los Angeles, the home of several Target stores. And if you can't be in LA, we'll also be live streaming the whole show. Tickets are very limited, so go to DynastyTypewriter.com as soon as possible. clear when you're a guest in my home Welcome to I Said No Gifts. I'm Bridger Weiniger. We're in the backyard. Um, I hope you're enjoying yourself. I hope you're having a nice time in whatever casino you're currently in, just sitting there with a cigarette dangling out of your mouth or whatever you're doing. My lunch tasted weird. Let's get into the podcast. I adore today's guest. He's just so funny. It's Mo Rocca. Mo, welcome to I Said No Gifts. I'm so happy to be here. I never saw Eat, Pray, Love, but I feel like she probably went to a place like this at some point. <laughs> this it's, backyard? Yes. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like a, what is this? Is a palazzo? It's something. It's, uh, if, 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 if I had been brought here blindfolded, and I won't say that I wasn't, and I would, I'm not sure I'd know where I was. <laughs> that, we want to just disorient the guests. That's the entire purpose of this backyard. Just yeah. leave them feeling very confused and dizzy. Right. And I am. Is this the Shangri-La neighborhood of <laughs> <Yes>. Los Angeles? <laughs> You're in town for just a few days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What have you been up to? You know, I've just been driving around. I was on KTLA okay. this morning. Wonderful. That's exciting. It was, it was exciting. They have so much fun on that morning show. The amount of time they devoted to the masked singer. I just, <laughs> I, I thought this is where I want to be right now. The world's on fire. And I mean this. I mean, they were just having a great time. And they brought me on set. And I just thought, my Teeth are just not white enough to be here. I mean, they are not, and, and I, I'm embarrassed. I'm okay with my teeth being a little askew, right? But, but they are not bright enough. Yeah, I feel like morning shows. I'm surprised they don't check teeth at the door. Right. That feels. I mean, everybody on them glowing teeth, gleaming like. <laughs> It comes like with a sound effect. Right. I I don't know that teeth bleaching is in my life. Teeth what? Bleaching? Yeah, whitening. Well, I don't think you need it. I can tell right now. Well, you know, my teeth, but they're like a natural tooth color, I would assume, or I know. But you see people with white teeth, and you're like, am I doing this wrong? Or maybe it's all right. Well, I wonder if you if do you happen to have one of those Sherwin Williams (laughs) kind of what are they the the wheel the the, uh, paint. Sample thing, yeah, the sample things. What a crew is that? The color that teeth should be? Ooh, a crew. Yeah. I've never heard of a crew. Yeah, is it kind of an eggshell? Yes. Oh, yeah, okay. eggshell. 
I feel like there should be a whole line of paints just after different types of teeth. After different types of teeth. But it is crazy how out here everybody has... I mean, so many people have the same teeth. The ex- oh, yeah. The teeth that have come from a factory. I mean, how are these people going to be identified later? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. I've never thought about that. How does a veneer work as far as the uniqueness of a tooth? Interesting. Right. Yes. Well, no, I guess I'm... do you may I guess your molars are the, like the last hope because you probably don't get a veneer on your molar. I, probably not. Did I have those taken out? I can't remember. Oh, I had my wisdom teeth taken wisdom out. Wisdom teeth. Those right. are different than my molars. Do you remember when you had your wisdom teeth out? Yes, I do remember because you had to. I don't know if they still do it the same way, but I was living in Dallas. Uh, Dallas is, of course, where you get your wisdom teeth taken out. <laughs> That's why I moved there. You I mean, can't go to Dallas without having your wisdom teeth removed. <laughs> that is just, it's a must. You know, the New York Times, 36 hours in Dallas, <laughs> have your wisdom teeth taken out. And, um, you know, in, back then, back then in the 90s, you had to have someone that would, it's like someone picking you up from your colonoscopy. You had to have somebody that was going to pick you up after your wisdom teeth were taken right. out and be with you if you were single. And at the time I was single and my friend Stephanie was like watching over me and I don't know how long I was in a haze for, but um, I do remember, sorry, this is really graphic. I remember actually, I've never, haven't thought about this since the 90s. I had to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and, um, and I went and I sat down and I was so tired from the anesthesia, I guess, that when I was sitting down, oh my God, what's happening? <laughs> the helicopter is here, they, they're too, here too early. We were gonna send you out in the copter, but they'll just wait. <laughs> So you're waking up in the middle of the night. Yeah, and I, I had to relieve myself. I just you know, I was just going pee, and but I was sitting down because I was just sort of in a haze. Well, actually, I do that all the time anyway. But um, <laughs> um, and I rested my elbows like on my knees and and my head like in one hand, basically, right. just as I was sort of tired. And there are little stitches that they put in there, and they kind of came on. I think they oh. came undone. Yeah, because I applied so much pressure oh. on them. And then, I mean, was it like gushing blood? What happened? It wasn't really. It was just a little taste. <laughs> well, then it was a little midnight snack. Yeah, and then I went and had some sorbet just as a palate cleanser. <laughs> yeah, wisdom teeth removal is uh, the one time I've ever been put out completely. And it's a, I, that part of it is a very exciting experience. I love that part of it. Now, when you have, a, like, and when you have an upper GI endoscopy also, they put you, do they put you out for the colon? They put you out, they put you out for the one that goes in your throat. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. And not for a colonoscopy? They, they don't. But if you have them at the same time, if it's a two-camera shoot, they do, <laughs> which I have. And I always wonder about the coverage of it. Like, are the cameras going to see each other? Do, the editing yeah, would solve they, all of those problems. Well, but you, you have to make sure not to cross the line. I think that's what the DP will tell you. If, if, you, if, you, if you have a really good insurance plan, it comes with the DP. It's covered by the guild. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is a union-approved shoot. Right. Um, okay, so... You were saying that they were talking about the masked singer this morning. Were you able to contribute to that conversation at all? Um, I wasn't. I acknowledged it because I think it was important to acknowledge that they'd been talking about it. And then we started talking about famous people who died on the same day because that's why they had me come on to talk about it. Who died on the same day? Well, June 25th, 2009, when Farrah Fawcett and Michael Jackson died on the same day. Right. Felt so yeah. bad for Farah. You know, she had the first half of the day, depending on where you lived. Like on the East Coast, she had most of the waking hours. Okay. Um, in LA, she really got screwed over. I mean, she did die that day, so she was technically already. It was a lousy day for her. But it got worse when Michael Jackson overshadowed her. Right. Just I was wiped a big from Farrah the record. Fan. 
Yeah, kind of like really pushed off the, the front page. Yeah, the next day on CBS's early show, our morning show, Michael Jackson was mentioned over 100 times. Farrah Fawcett got six mentions. Oh, my God. Yeah. And Ed McMahon had died two days before, and people had already forgotten. Forget. Who? What? (laughs) He's a shadow at that point. Wow, 100 versus six. Well, you know, it was a shock with him, right? Like, she had been sick. She had been ill. We knew she was ill. And she really also, I mean, she did a, a reality show at the end about the cancer she was living with, which was anal cancer, which at the time no one wanted to mention. And to her great credit, she mentioned it. Good for and her. And she talked about it explicitly, and that was good. And then here comes Michael. Just right. forget all about it. Yes. Like moonwalking Deeply right into her shot. <laughs> like, and, yeah. But it's happened It's happened a lot. I mean, you know, um, Margaret Thatcher and Annette Funicello died on the same day. Oh. Yeah. I imagine Margaret was the big, big ticket there. For print, it was. Okay. Because it was an important death. And it right. was, obviously. But Annette Funicello, I think... She was like – she was such a big deal in the 50s and 60s. Like it's like you take Selena Gomez and who's the, what, the high school musical, the Vanessa Hudgens. Oh, right, And right. multiply that by like orders of magnitude bigger. I mean she was so big. So for baby boomers, I think it was kind of like we should be talking about Margaret Thatcher, but we want to be talking about Annette Funicello. Right. What year was that? Uh Oh, gosh. When did they die? It was before Meryl Streep made the movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, don't have the, I don't have the year for you. On a 2013? 2013. Yes, it was 2013. Wow. For whatever reason, neither of these crossed my desk. I don't remember either of them dying, and that's crazy. You, Those are it, both big deaths. Were you having your wisdom teeth taken I, out that day? There was an hour that I don't remember from that day, and it's, it's the hour I'm usually online. So maybe that's what happened. Yeah. No, that's now, really fascinating. Oh, it is interesting who gets – well, sometimes, you know, some of these – the coverage really holds up. Like Jim Henson and Sammy Davis Jr. died on the same day. Right. I mean, just two brilliant, creative talents. Mm-hmm. And the newspapers, if you look back at them, they were side by side for the most part. The television coverage, it was usually like two great Hollywood or, you know, the, the legends of, of, of television in Hollywood died to left us today. And it was appropriate. And I think even looking back now, it's like, yes, that makes sense. I don't know who I would have given lead coverage to. Right. And remind me of what Jim had. I remember him dying. What did he die of? He died. It was um, it was a kind of pneumonia. I think a lot of the time at the time people thought, oh, is this HIV? Is it AIDS? Mm-hmm. Like, is this euphemistic? And it was not. He had an infection and um, no, was it a bacterial infection? But yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I have like a weird, foggy memory of it being strep throat, which – can't possibly be true. Wait, it is? Yeah, streptococcal toxic shock syndrome caused by strep. Yeah. What? God, and I really – yeah, thank you for that, boy, for that fact check. I'm embarrassed that I called it pneumonia. <laughs> I think we thought it was pneumonia at first. Sorry, anyway. Wow, that I've held on to that information that long and almost no other information. That's amazing that you knew that. That wow. is – yeah, it felt like a like weird childhood logic where like I had had strep throat, so that would – imagine that would kill someone but i guess i just had a personal attachment to strep throat and it stuck with me well it could have also had something to do with your attachment to the muppets <laughs> well sir i mean i mean that was i mean it was a really it was a real shocker yeah I mean, right it was, it was a shocker I think. because he was fairly young oh yeah and he like apparently walked into an emergency room and said i'm not feeling well oh my god yeah and never left i mean it's really terrible sammy davis jr had been ill for a long time he had right. throat cancer and they had a huge send-off on abc with you know gregory hines danced with him when he could barely stand Ugh. up, and it was pretty amazing. Right. Wow. What a day. What a memory. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What have you been doing to fill your days? Has the strike affected you at all? 
No, I'm fortunate because I work in news and it's covered under a different contract. Right. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's only affected you as far as you're watching it all unfold. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And hopefully by the time this releases, the SAG strike will be over. But as of today, it's just all blown up again, which is... I read that and it's terrible. And I mean, I'm not saying anything new here, but boy, the amounts of money that the the, the heads of these companies make. Oh. I mean, I think we'll look back and it it's i think well <laughs> we don't even need to look back it's appalling now but i but it's interesting to see how this will be viewed even just a few years from now like right. really that's kind of nuts i think about these like five extremely wealthy people i'm always like isn't there one child in one of those families that's like dad this doesn't seem like the right thing to do or they're all just greed-driven psychos you know, it's so interesting you say that. I don't is is this? I don't think there's anything wrong with revealing this. I I had um, a, a Lloyd Blankfein, who was running Goldman Sachs. I think I have that right. Came by CBS where I work, and there was talk about doing a piece on him. And he mentioned that his his kids say to him. It's hard to have a job in the service industry and to support yourself. And he was candid and he said what he told his kids which is well you just have to work harder like oh, he boy. didn't he didn't feel that the system was fundamentally flawed right um he also thought i think what a lot of that uh, there are obviously people who think this that taxes are largely <laughs> wasted um i think the example I don't want to, I want to be fair here. The example, he said, when you would just go through like the Midtown Tunnel, that the money that you're spending is allocated, you know, both to municipal and state government. It doesn't make sense. A lot of it is just wasted. So I don't know. Anyway, right, but he, right. he seemed pretty comfortable with how things stand. Yeah, I think you just get to that spot and completely forget. Yeah, yeah. Did you have, uh, prior to your career becoming your career, did you have any day jobs or service jobs? Yeah. I delivered pizza for a while. I was, um, you know, movie theater usher. When I first got out of college, I had two jobs waiting tables. I worked at Pizzeria Uno's during the day in Georgetown. And at night, I was a roller skating waiter at a place called La Nisoise, which was, you know, D I grew up in D.C. And that's where I went right after I finished school just for a while to earn money to move to New York. And this restaurant where the waiters roller skated and sang was sort of Washington's version of wacky and zany, <laughs> which, of course, was so stodgy and not that right. zany. And rollerblades had just come in. Mm -hmm. And one waiter, I think it was the head waiter, was on rollerblades, which was really <laughs> oh, great. Shot. Yeah. But it was actually a lot safer to just be on the four-wheeled roller skates because if you got nervous, if you were carrying, say, a bowl of of hot French onion soup. And you thought, oh my God, you could just sort of step, like kind of oh, walk right, around because they right. were the four-wheeled ones. Kind of a clumpy. Yeah. Were you a natural roller skater before you got the job? I had been because I liked to roller skate in the basement, or as my father would call, the cellar of our house. And my father played the trumpet. And so he would play the trumpet, Dixieland jazz, while I would roller skate in the <laughs> cellar pretending I was Dorothy Hamill at Innsbruck, Austria in 1976 because there was a pole in the middle. And so I could grab the pole oh, sure, sure. and just 
spin in a way like I could pretend I was doing a sal cow uh, or a toe uh, loop or what's the other one? There's a triple sal cow, the toe oh. loop, and um, there's one, there's a third one that I'm forgetting. Yeah, there's like three of them. But anyway, and our dryer didn't work for a long time. I don't know why we just didn't get a new one anyway. But <laughs> so we would hang sheets and clothes on clotheslines in the cellar. But what you could do then if you were roller skating through the cellar is it felt like Xanadu, basically. Oh, like Olivia and John. Uh-huh. Yeah, going through, sort of like, like, you know, just going through sheets and towels that were hanging there. It's like almost the, like a haunted house. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, in many ways, yes. But um, but yeah, it was to be able to skate through that. It, there were constant reveals by doing that. Uh huh. And I reveals mean, tra- are exciting. Really training you for the obstacles of a restaurant. Yeah, I guess so. I never listen. I never dropped a plate. Did, when you applied for the job, did they just ask you, "Can you roller skate?" Or did you have to demonstrate? You know, I think I had sort of an old showbiz streak, which was sort of like, just say you can do it. You also had to sing. And so I sang a song, a Tom Lehrer song called the Masochism Tango. So the idea was that you'd serve, you know, the diners and then you'd get up and you'd sing. The waiters would all sing different things. And the restaurant was on its last legs at that point. It was holding on to this, that that Elizabeth Taylor during her penultimate marriage, I think that's right, was to Senator John Warner. So she had had a DC phase right. and she liked going to this restaurant. So they really held on to it. But this was like- ten, <laughs> That only lasts so long. Yeah, you can't People yeah, stop eat out on this. After that, uh, yeah, exactly. It's like she'd moved on to the to, to the construction worker, to Larry Fortensky <laughs> right. by this point. So it was, oh, Liz Taylor likes Lani Swass. And it's like, yeah, but that was over 10 years ago. Forget it. Yeah. I mean, was the quality of food horrible? I think it was fine. Yeah. It was okay. And while you were, I mean, I feel like when I'm on roller skates or roller blades, I have a very hard time not being happy. But I feel like when you're at work, that's got to be such a confusing journey emotionally. Were you mad to be at work or was it a fun time? No, no. I was 22. So I wasn't, I wasn't mad to be at work. I was a little nervous because the carpet would sometimes wrinkle. And that's oh, really was, dangerous. It was roller like a skates. really flat car. Oh, what are they doing? Yeah. So, I mean, this was really hazardous. And it, no, it was a very stressful time because during the day I was working at Pizzeria Uno's where they had the five, it was something like the five minute lunch. And so you'd have to get the, and I experienced this with, and I think it's illegal now with delivering pizza, where if you didn't get the pizza to the person in 30 minutes, the delivery, you know, and they'd be standing at the door. Mm-hmm. It was called Pizza Movers. It was a poor man's, like, um, Domino's. And uh, and I think that's illegal now because people were crashing into each other, you know. In, in, or right, of course. Like, like, you know, running over people to, so that you wouldn't get docked. And, um, but Pizza Uno's had a five-minute lunch. Five and, minutes? Yeah. What? So from the time you ordered the express lunch, from the time you ordered it, you were supposed to get your lunch. I can't remember the exact time. I think it was five or ten minutes. But that was very stressful during the day. And um, I think they would dock your pay if you were late a certain number of times. Oh, so, yeah. Stressful. Job. So, yeah, during the day, I was racing against the clock. And at night, I was just hoping not to burn someone to death with, <laughs> with, with, with Yeah, with even 10 minute pizza delivery feels like a physical impossibility yeah, to yeah, me, unless you yeah. live. Next no, door. no, this was in, sorry, this is Pizzeria Uno's in the restaurant. Oh, this is, oh, in the I'm, restaurant. I'm, I'm imagining you driving around town in an absolute panic. No. Oh, okay. So this, no, we'd have oh, to live feels... in some place with like pneumatic tubes where you were just. 
Pizza just shot. slamming against walls. Yes. Tomato sauce everywhere. Yeah. But you were a delivery driver prior to this. Yes. I was a delivery driver for Pizza Movers and oh, I was a okay. waiter in house for Pizzeria Uno. Wow. Yeah. You really did it all. Yeah. As a pizza delivery driver, were there any scary moments? Yeah, because I think because in that case it was a th- it was a 30 minute time limit and it was scary. I mean, it was also kind of thrilling. And I think I was driving stick shift, so that felt incredibly oh, yeah. exciting. Like, you know, doing that kind of a thing. And it was a Mazda, I think. It was a car, used car that I bought. Yeah. And you just get to listen to music and deliver pizza. I guess it had a radio. But there was yeah. never like a moment where you pulled up to an empty lot, like physically scary. I don't remember feeling threatened, if that's what okay, you mean. Okay, right, yeah, right. I wasn't lured to an address that right. you know, didn't exist. That was just an empty lot. No, I don't think – nothing like that ever happened. Okay. No. That would be my big fear. There was – I believe there was an unsolved mysteries about, you know, oh. delivery driver pulls up. It's an empty field. That's the last we see of them. Yeah, no, that did not – thankfully, that did not happen to me. But I did, you know, when I worked at Pizzeria Uno, it's the place where I, in Georgetown, where I actually was a waiter, I do remember that I served a really, really big party. And at the end, they didn't jump the check, but they left no tip. And it was a, a minimum, if, if it was six people or more, you, there was an automatic, you re, not by law, but they would add in a right. gratuity. And this was a, probably a party of 12 and they left nothing. Mm. And so I went and I told the manager and I remember he ran out with me to the people down the street and he got to the head of the party and he said, you didn't leave a tip and you really are supposed to if it's six or more. And the guy looked at him and then turned to me and said, with just pity, he just said, I'm sorry, but he wasn't very good. <laughs> oh my God. And I remember then looking at the manager and, and I swear to you going, he's right. <laughs> it was just like, it was such a pathetic moment. We but no it, defense. I had no defense and I wasn't angry at the guy, but he's right. It took me forever to get them what they needed. And, but I just remember that he said, I'm just so sorry. He just wasn't very good. I'm still on your side here though. Even if the service is, unless the service is like actively, you know, you're attacking the customer. Right. Everybody realizes how hard all of this is. Leave a little something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it was pretty rough. It was, um, yeah, I, I hopefully it built something, character, I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, speaking of people just being kind of cruel and mindless, something I'd like to talk to you about. Is it about Charles Manson who died on the same day as Della Reese? <laughs> yes. Which well, is I, terrible. I, <laughs> because Della Reese was great. She was really talented. People loved Della. Della Reese was great. And even if you're not a touched by an angel person, if you are more a Dr. Quinn medicine woman person, you have to acknowledge her talent. She was her presence. Great, her presence. Yes, her presence. <laughs> that and, alone. I mean, not to say that Charles didn't have a presence. <laughs> No, I understand Charles Manson haunted people's nightmares. I understand the decision to give him more coverage the day that they died. But this is when we all need to take a step back and say, Della Reese, Chico and the Man, her greatest hits. She grew up singing with Mahalia Jackson, Touched by an Angel. You may not have liked it, but like 40 fucking billion people watched it every Sunday night. (laughs) 
She wasn't involved in that many murders. Right. Yes, exactly. It's, uh, I feel like that she we know of. Yeah, that we know. <laughs> it could come out at some point. Maybe she was part of the Manson family. Yeah. Wouldn't that be a reveal? <laughs> Della Reese, the lost Manson family member. I'd like to think, though, if she had been, she would have set them straight. <laughs> Stop that murdering. What happened to Charles' uh, jailhouse bride? Didn't he have a bride? Oh, I think he did. I yeah, what I don't, she's up to now. I don't know. Is she, she married on. to one of the Menendez brothers? So I don't know. I don't know. She's just crossing names off a list. <laughs> yes. I feel like I need to get on one of those jail dating websites and strike up a romance. That's so interesting. It can't be called J dating. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. It's already taken. That's taken. Yeah. P dating, prison dating. P dating. Oh, no, that sounds like something else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, they, you know, there must be a play on something like Sing Sing or like, is it Sing Sing? No, like Leavenworth. What can we do with Leavenworth? Single bars. Yeah. Something like that. There's yeah, some sort yeah. of jail. Yeah. Cell block. Yeah. <laughs> attractive. <laughs> there we go. Alcatrack. Are you, are you attracted to me? <laughs> I mean, I found one that's called Meet an Inmate. Well, that Meet feels... Meet an Inmate. Okay. Well, that's <laughs> I don't know that that's Penn clear. Charles, nine, since 1998. So this sounds like it, you know, is a little bit more analog. Love a prisoner. Write a prisoner. Yeah, well, there's a lot classified, of that. Inmate mingle. <laughs> dating prisoners. They're not very creative with their names. Friends beyond the wall. That sounds a little... Want to be inmates? <laughs> <laughs> inmate passions. <laughs> inmate passion. Well, that's... Okay. Well, Canadian well, inmates connect. Wow. The options are... There's a bounty yeah. of options if you want yeah, to get true. in love with a prisoner. Yeah. Good. Wonderful. Adopt, don't shop, this sort of thing. <laughs> um, well, it feels like you're really trying to throw the podcast off. You're trying to – the podcast is called I Said No Gifts. I was very excited to have you here today. Well, but I, I – like it's the way I was raised. I couldn't come here without a gift. It's just not who I am. Yeah, I'm sorry. I looked down the driveway and you're holding – Yes. It's clearly a gift. Yes. I wanted to – well – I'm just going to give it to you. Um, okay. It's a, it's in a white bag. It's in a white bag. Very classy looking bag. Should I open it here on the podcast? I, re- I really wish you would. <laughs> I really wish you would. As you can see, I brought it in a bag. It's from, from the Four Seasons. From the Be- Beverly Wilshire Four Seasons. Incredible. Right. Is the gift inside from the Four Seasons? It is from the Four Seasons. Okay, I'm going to yes. reach in here and see yeah. what... Okay, there's some tissue. Oh, okay. Here we go. So there's some tissue. We're getting that on the mic. I'm unwrapping, unwrapping. Uh, oh, it's a towel. <laughs> It is a hand. This is a hotel towel. It is a hand towel from the Beverly Wilshire, <laughs> and you know the Beverly Wilshire. It just has such an amazing history, and so, you know I I thought, and I, I actually have a brochure here, and I, I wanted to include it. Um, the Beverly Wilshire. Um, no, that's a map of LA subway. Sorry, um, the Beverly Wilshire was built in January 1928, and it is um, it's no stranger to fame as celebrities, royalty, and the international elite have all stayed here. And, you know, I started thinking of all the amazing people who have used that hand towel. Um, (laughs) You know, I thought, you know, Herbert Hoover would be elected soon after it opened. And 
I suspect that he might have used that hand towel. He, he sweated a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, before you go any further, I should say the podcast is sponsored by Travelodge, but uh, we can continue. We can keep talking. Um, so this is actually like a room towel. It is a room this hand towel. Like, and did you tell the hotel staff, I need a gift bag, I need to wrap this up? Because it's clearly been wrapped by somebody. I told them that I needed a bag and some tissue paper, and I just – assumed they would surmise it infer the rest that I was going to be gifting one of their historic hand towels. You know, 1928 was the end of the silent era. So I think that Greta Garbo may have used that hand towel as a silent film actress and when she went and did Anna Christie and, you know, and, and Camille and all of her great early sound work. And all the sweating she did yeah. when she realized, I've got to do the, make the transition. How, yes. well, how will this affect my career? It, yes, yes. I, I can just see it right now that she was so nervous about how she would sound in her first sound test. Will audiences accept it? Yes, and she wiped her face with that towel and as she, she it dropped down, she looked in the mirror and Annalise, what is the first thing she said? <laughs> It was an Anna Christie. Greta Garbo's first words were, I want another scotch or I, give me a vodka stinger. No, that's a lean stretch. What did she say? She wanted a drink. Give me another one and make it whatever. One Coke Zero, please. <laughs> give yes. me a whiskey ginger ale on the side and don't be stingy, baby. Yes. And and she practiced that as she finished wiping the sweat from her brow. The towel is sopping wet at this point. Yes. In 1970, they added a Mediterranean-style pool modeled on – Sophia Loren's pool at her villa in Italy. And I like to think of Sophia Loren coming and using that towel. <laughs> this single towel, is, I mean, it's been used by stars galore. It has been used by stars. It's been involved in scandals. I think Fatty Arbuckle, I think, used it to soak up the blood. No, I'm sorry. He actually was wrongly accused. Sorry. Scratch that from the record, but I'm sure that it's been, yeah. Well, Pretty Woman was filmed at the Beverly Wilshire. A lot of it was filmed there. So Richard and Julia have, have used certainly that towel, touched probably. this towel. They have touched that towel. They've, They've probably shared the towel. Yeah, they probably shared the towel. They're both washing their hands, going headed to craft services. Yes. I need to dry off. Yeah. Uh, they both seem like wow, fascinating. people. And, uh, I really do believe it's probably been found in at least the hands of one corpse. When you're a towel at a hotel— when you're a towel at a ho hotel, you're part of a crime scene. You will be. I mean, the chances of being part of a crime scene are through the roof. Absolutely. I mean, let's I, I think of all the things that might have happened. I mean, I wonder if that towel had any – was touched by any member of the Manson family. I hope not. <laughs> I don't think they were <laughs> saying to Beverly Wilshire. They probably passed through. They I feel probably, like they, they might have passed Denny's. through. Yeah. So certainly they were also at the Four Seasons. Right. Yes. No, it's amazing what happened. You know, Shirley Temple saved 20th Century Fox during the 30s. And I hope that they at least offered her a towel. I mean, after all she did for them. <laughs> she had her hair wrapped up in this. Yes. Or something. Oh, I could. That's such, you make such a great point, Bridger, because usually you need a whole bath sheet to do the whole thing where you're mm -hmm. wrapping you know, the turban thing that you right. do, right? But she was so little. Not and when you're a child. 
when you're a child, yeah, well, this you works. Can, yes, yes, as little Nellie Kelly or when she sang on the Good Ship Lollipop, you know, and she probably showered between takes or something. I mean, it was over several days probably. It's, it's like she was a, famous for showering between takes. She, 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 she would take days. It, it was crazy. Well, she was – yes, she really sweated a lot. She would shine a lot. So she had very active sweat glands early in life. Um, and um, I'd like to think that she could have used that towel, just a hand towel, to do that turban thing. <laughs> I haven't done that in a long time. I should do that around the house. It's so great. It's so great. Well, then you can pretend that you're in an ad from the 1970s. You can say, I'm Rula Lenska. (laughs) Eating my grapefruit in the morning light, something like that. I feel like, I mean, I have cottage cheese in my fridge right now. That's a a real food to be eating in the towel turban, certainly. Oh, yeah. And I also think like, I'm wondering, do you have any pets? I have a dog. A dog's head is small enough to do a turban wrap with a hand towel. (laughs) It's ideal. Absolutely. I'm sure my dog will be perfect with that. She'll be perfectly fine. She loves things on her head. And then we wrap a towel up. I put that on my head, put a towel around my waist. I've got the landline, the cords stretching all over the house. I can imagine myself doing that right now. It would be great. You know, and I didn't want to get you a face cloth because I think that's kind of gross. Oh, the face cloth. I mean... The makeup, the yeah. you've got people's pores, yeah. blackheads all over that thing. Yeah. People have been wiping their teeth on it. Oh, yes. No, absolutely. Uh, no, no. This is a hand towel. The, 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 the hands of, of only the most glamorous people that have passed <laughs> through the Beverly Wilshire for almost 100 years. Do you enjoy staying in a hotel? If I can get the pillows right. Oh, interesting. If I can get the pillows right. I'm having some neck issues. And I need the pillows to support my cervical curve in just the right way. And at home, mm-hmm. I have three pillows that I know how to arrange perfectly to make that happen, to create the ridge that I need for my cervical curve. And even at a glamorous place like the Four Seasons and Beverly Wilshire, I can't quite get it right. But I do like staying. Yeah, I like staying in hotels. Yeah. It's a good feeling. I love being in a hotel. Yeah. I mean, the towels are such a huge part of it. Yeah. Being able to use towel after towel, I mean, it's very wasteful. Well, no, and to know that, you know, you're drying off with a towel that Adlai Stevenson used, exactly. you know, when he accepted the nomination for president in 1956. You can't help That's but feel exciting. glamorous. Yes. I mean, he lost. So <laughs> you might, you know, it's you have mixed feelings drying off with that towel. But, <laughs> but it's still an honor to have the towel yeah. on. Um, no, I like the towel. The pillow thing. I feel like some hotels are finally catching on. They're like, people want a, a sturdier pillow. You can tell a uh, hotel's a little more modern, that they're a little with the times if the pillow doesn't immediately flatten under your head. Well, I think that's right. I think that's right. I also find it a little odd, well, that some of the, the I don't know what you call the pillows that are used over the pillows, sort of the, the ones that are- um, Worthless. That, well- So in the bed that I'm currently in right now at the Beverly Wilshire, there are, I think, like two sort of pillow proper, pillows proper, I should call them, right? It's like attorneys general, pillows (laughs) proper. Okay. And, um, And but then over them are two big square pillows with kind of a ridge. And those are sort of like almost equivalent of a bedspread, like the decorative pillows. But- I need to deploy. I need to include those pillows in the mix. You use them. I use them. And those are generally a little denser. They're also, they're big square shaped Mm -hmm. pillows. Um, Kind of suddenly having a flash to when I took home ec in eighth grade and we had to sew (laughs) a nine paneled front 
right three by three on to our pillows. We were making like a pillows. Quilt over the pillow. Yeah. And you could chat during it. Mm-hmm. You could just you were allowed to sort of just chat. And the teacher, I wish I could remember her name. She was older and she just didn't like me. And I think <laughs> I, I think it may have been that the corners of my panels weren't quite weren't perfect. My friend Mario could do it perfectly. I mean perfectly. Some people have it, some people yeah, don't. And I didn't have it. And then I remember I once said my father said that Hetty Lamar was the most beautiful actress in Hollywood. And then the, head of the, the teacher home back, she said, Hetty Lamar was beautiful, but she was not the most beautiful actress in Hollywood. Ingrid Bergman was. Oh my and, God. and I just, and even at the time I thought, all right, you can sort of, you can refute what I'm saying because it, it, by saying this is subjective, but you're saying, no, this is factually incorrect. Here is the truth. So right. she wasn't just sharing an opinion. Yeah. She wasn't saying, well, I, I think she's beautiful, yeah. but my personal choice. Right. <laughs> the fact that she's attacking a child over this. Yes. <laughs> that yes. is a universal truth. And the thing is, I don't know if she was wrong. I don't know. No one ever will. Well, we can roll the tape. And I mean, we can we can examine it. Hedy Lamar was was beautiful. I'm thinking of Tortilla Flat, that movie where she she was miscast as a Mexican. But but um, oh well, so was Spencer Tracy. I mean, that's pretty bad. <laughs> like, but but she was she was beautiful in the way the Jacqueline Smith. Sorry, it's just getting weird. But like, no, Jacqueline Smith. Yeah, like in it. Charlie's Angels. Like I remember when Jacqueline Smith played. Jackie Bouvier Kennedy. And my father <laughs> came into the room. I was watching that TV movie. And my father went, she's too beautiful to play J- Jacqueline Onassis. You're surrounded by people who are just attacking women's beauty. Well, but I have to say, I love people with strong opinions about stuff like this. My father went, she's too beautiful. She's perfect looking and she's too beautiful. And then my father then said, he said, I always thought, this is in a separate conversation, um, Lady Bird Johnson was more attractive than Jackie Kennedy. And my mother would get very upset. And even as a child, I understood why my mother was getting upset because my mother was suddenly going, wait, if that's what you think, what do you think about the Like my father's sort of metric, not metric, but his standard was so unconventional right? Um, that suddenly it made my mother insecure. Where does it place her in the scheme of things? Well, right. And she, she was like, no, Jacqueline Kennedy is the most beautiful first lady. But the thing is that I think that Lady Bird Johnson was absolutely enchanting and beguiling. If you listen to her audio tapes, and this is really ghoulish and horrible, but when she's talking about the assassination, it's just, it's just awful. But her accent is so beautiful. I mean, this is terrible, but her accent is so beautiful. But she says at one point, you can find this on the internet, and she goes, and the blood on Mrs. Kennedy's dress. And it's horrible. This is horrible. And I'm not laughing about it, but it's a beautiful, a it's a beautiful accent. And she has this bump on her nose. And I, I really don't want to dissect women like this. Like, like, but she has this, she, she is, like really attractive Lady Bird Johnson. And an unconventional beauty. Well, I don't even know that I want to qualify it that way. I'm sorry, Bridger. I think that she is- a less I obvious would... choice? Fine. <laughs> I mean, I, we, I haven't checked the, the latest Gallup poll on this, although I'm sure that they did poll. I feel like Jackie is going to pull ahead in all those polls, right? She, of course, she, of, of course People, she think, is. just assume, they're like, yeah. I, I feel like she's she's a little bit more, the she's got the name recognition immediately. Well, People think, are picturing her, the style, the grace. I think absolutely. And I think that it's just one of those things that you just simply say, okay, yes, she was beautiful and she was great. And she was great in many ways. But Lady Bird Johnson had some great things about her. Everyone goes, oh, she cared about wildflowers. It was more 
before the highway beautification, that thing, that was like a whole environmental thing. She had right. a whole thing worked out that this was only part of it. And everyone said, oh, she, First Lady, Lady Bird Johnson, all she cares is highway beautification. That's sweet. That's nice. It was really condescending. But she, she was – That's an important uh, issue. It, but it was part of also like she had serious environmental concerns. And our highways, I mean they've really fallen apart since she got behind. And it feels well, so like – she died. <laughs> well, she could be you know inspiring people from beyond the grave. Mm. I feel like we're not getting after litter bugs anymore. I feel like until – I mean the early thousands, we were all worried about littering. And now I don't hear about a word about littering. It is – It's out of control. I wonder if people are people are people littering as much. I think it's well. There was that great little moment in Mad Men, and I wasn't a religious watcher of Mad Men, but you remember Don Draper and his wife, and the kids go for a picnic, and at the end of it, they just sort of they basically leave all their all the yes. crap there. And I thought it was such a great it's incredible. little great detail, and it was it's <laughs> such and and I think that's probably how people used to be. Right. Um, we don't hear enough about ladybugs. Lady. I mean, we're going from Ladybird Johnson to litterbugs the to actual ladybugs. Bug. I love a ladybug. I Enchanting. love my mother loved ladybugs too. It's the only bug at, at people are okay with landing on them. Oh, completely. You would have to have a heart of stone. You, if you squash a ladybug, you are a serial killer right. of the future. What state of mind could you possibly be That's in like to think sick. I have to kill that? No, my mother's Colombian and she would. I a ladybug. She would, if a lady, she would be so excited to see a ladybug <laughs> when we were kids. And they are just adorable. The color and the color so scheme. Sweet. And you can buy them by the bag. Have you ever seen them in the bags? What? <laughs> are you serious? This is true. I remember. I mean, maybe it's not true anymore. But I remember as a kid, we would go to the hardware store, wherever there would be a gardening center, and they would just have essentially what was a mesh bag full. And this is probably the one time where you're like, I don't. Ladybugs are not that enchanting right now because that's a swarm. But they would just be full of the ladybugs, and then you would take them to your garden, release them, and then they would do their thing. Because but what was their thing? What was I doing? think that they kind of uh, took care of bad bugs, which ah. feels interesting. Is there a violent element to a ladybug? Am I imagining this? Well, I always I, – I like to imagine them sort of under the spell of Busby Berkeley, like getting together and doing like elaborate <laughs> dances. Dance, gorgeous dancing through the air. Yes. But, you know, the thing about ladybugs is I also love lightning bugs. And I wonder if a ladybug – and they're all ladies – met a male lightning bug <laughs> and they had sex, would they produce <gasps> a ladybug that lit up? They're essentially a little gem. Oh my God! I go banana. I would lose my mind if <laughs> there was a, a la- gown out of that. Yes, if there was a ladybug that lit up, I mean that would be crazy. How have we not crossbred those creatures? We have to crossbreed them right now. <laughs> it feels very Midsummer Night's Dream. It feels it's. I love it. Just swarming trees. Yes. Can you crossbreed a bug? Now that's my big question. Well, you know, I always thought, and this is so crazy. For the long, for an embarrassingly long time in life, I thought that all. Cats were female and all dogs were male. Oh, sure. And that That's would, a common Now, why belief. is it? And that they would mate and then if they had like two daughters and a son, it would be – Two cats and a dog right. would come out. I mean, that's how it should be. It should be. Certainly, that makes more logical sense than whatever's happening right now. Right. Uh, but yeah, I think – I guess we're conditioned as children. And I have to imagine at this point in history, we're not – you know, we've moved beyond this with gender. But as a child, I feel like – Dogs were such a masculine thing. Cats were the feminine, so they were the women. And we all just believed that 
they were boys and girls. Uh, yeah, I think so. And I don't mind that. I mean, look, I don't know that I want a non-binary pet. I'm sorry. I don't want to. I don't want to get uh, people upset about that. Um, you know, the other thing I used to think of in weird terms of gender is a table setting. I used to think of like a knife as like a handsome man <laughs> and a spoon, which was I guess is next to the knife usually. And the spoon was like like a lovely sort of woman and they were they were husband and wife mm -hmm. and the fork on the other side was like a vixen trying to take the knife away. And so I would cut the meat sometimes before I even understood how sex worked at all. Um, and when I cut the meat, I'd have the knife go through the fork. <laughs> this is ruining sex for every listener right now. <laughs> but I would think of the of the fork as being like Joan Collins, like this vixen who was trying to take the knife away. But it's really like the fork is Glenn Close, the knife is Michael Douglas, and the spoon is Ann Archer. It's very fatal attraction. It is. The fork has that hair that's the short, kind of it's sexy, dangerous. She's wicked and she's right. sexy and you just can't get enough of her. Right. And then the spoon is curvy and innocent. And yes. And everyone's like, how could you do that to the spoon? Are you are you nuts, knife, to do that? To Look at that beautiful spoon. But the fact is that that fork is just so – She's a freak. Uh, yes. She's an absolute freak. She is. And the way she just like, oh, with her tines, just gets into that meat. <laughs> now, I do believe there's a some sort of uh, nursery rhyme or something about the fork running away with the spoon. Oh, no. There are, they, they were like set up in, in – they were high school That's sweethearts. Fanfic. They're, yeah. They're high school sweethearts. <laughs> yes. She's wearing like his letter sweater and like, yeah. <laughs> I think, I mean, the math of that all adds up perfectly. That's uh, absolutely. Knife man, spoon, the wife at home, fork is going to wreck everything. The fork is going to wreck everything, but be careful because the dessert fork is right behind you, honey. So you take that knife away from that spoon, that dessert fork is right, like, is pulling up the rear. And she is going to, like, she's going to take that knife away next. You know what? Speaking of this, I always, uh, like in elementary, middle school, I always looked at my thumb as David Schwimmer. I always thought, that looks like David Schwimmer. Oh, that's so interesting. Kind of has that hairstyle. Feel like your, the, your thumb? My thumb and my big toe. feel like Can it's I... just like, especially when it's cut. It has, you know, he would like push his hair up in the front. Oh, that's so interesting. Maybe it was every male member of Friends had the same hairstyle yeah. and they looked like a thumb. Yeah. Or maybe every finger, actually, now yeah. that I think about it. Well, I could see it's too bad we don't have six fingers on a hand because then you could do the whole cast. But, right. but um, well, I guess some people, well, anyway. There are two characters that are probably similar enough that you could label them as them, one finger. Combine them. I can see a thumb as David Schwimmer. I think of all the three guys on Friends, he's, the thumb is the most David Schwimmery. Right. And then I feel like the ring finger is probably Jennifer Aniston. Mm -hmm. Pinky is Courtney Cox. Middle... Uh, is uh, Lisa Kudrow, certainly. Lisa Kudrow. I think she's probably maybe the tallest member of the cast, I Yeah, would I think she probably is. God, she's so great. The comeback was so... Oh, I mean, what a phenomenal program. It's just... And, and the fact that the two seasons were like a decade apart and... It, Still good. It's so... It is How so good. It is so good. I mean, easily top five television shows yes. for me. And it should be for everyone. Anyone yes. with any sense at Taste. all. Oh, my God. I can watch that over and over and over. Yeah. Is she in anything currently? We've got to get her back on TV. Yeah, we've got to get her back on TV or, get, or, or, or on stage or something. Yeah, it yeah. just makes me cackle. Yeah. I think it's time to play a game. Oh, terrific. I've got my towel. 
Yeah. That'll obviously be hanging somewhere in my house. And you know what? I have a tip that I learned recently. I recently switched to all white towels and all white sheets. I mean, because this is what hotels do. You can bleach them. They never get dirty. That is absolutely true. Yes. And that's why this is probably, what, 95 years old. It and is, And it looks yes. like it was bought It's yesterday. amazing. And listen, anytime I want, anytime you go to the airport to think of this towel, because it was once used by Tom Bradley, <laughs> yeah, former mayor. <laughs> I mean, I'm already thinking about him, but the towel, I mean, it's, I mean, my mind's going all over the place. You know, it's, it, it is interesting. I have heard, I cannot verify this, but I have heard that after the 1969 Oscars, and I really cannot verify this, and Annalise may be able to verify it, that this towel was used by both Barbara Streisand and Katherine Hepburn, who tied for the Oscar that year for <laughs> Funny Girl on the Line in Winter. Annalise is nodding their head aggressively. This is what, the, probably yeah. the one fact on this podcast. Yeah. So it's a good that, I yeah. mean, you know, bring one fact late in the yeah. game. I think what happened was somebody had hosted Gregory Peck, had a party, and this hand, and they both showed up with their Oscars. Um, right. And they both had to, you know, They're both covered in mud. They needed a shower. Yes. And then there was this one towel. Right. And Shirley Temple Black had brought her own towel. <laughs> she was Shirley Temple Black at that point. Which, by the way, I love a Shirley Temple, but I want to drink the adult version of Shirley Temple Black. That is genius. How is that not a thing already? Well, I think it's because if you were to put Kahlua with ginger ale and grenadine, it would make you throw up and then you'd need the towel for something else. But like, but there's got to be a way to do a Shirley Temple Black. You could do it with... If you do grenadine with a Coke, that's already a Roy Rogers. Talk about right. gender. When I was a kid, I always wanted to order a Shirley Temple, and I thought, but I'm supposed to order a Roy Rogers. And I was like, but I don't want Coke with grenadine. I want ginger ale with grenadine. <laughs> I feel like a Shirley Temple black, there, there certainly is a black cherry soda. Yes. That's, I mean, it's the it's very simple. Black cherry soda with grenadine, which is a, a little bit, is that joke on joke or something? Because you're adding like more cherry to it. Right. But, but you're uh, kind of asking for it when you ask for a Shirley Temple Black. A Shirley Temple Black, yeah. I wow. Yes. That's the beginning of your bar. Yeah. I mean, wow. So many different Shirley Temples. Okay, yeah. we have to play a game. I need yeah. a number between one and ten from you. Eight. Okay, I have to do some light calculating right now. So you can promote, recommend, do whatever you want with the microphone. I'll be right back. Okay. Um... I have a podcast. It's called Mobituaries. Um, it's just obituaries with an M in front. And it's, um, I talk about the people and things that have died that I think are worth another look. And um, I don't want to be too pushy about it. So I'm just going to just sort of leave it there if you want to listen to it. But you don't have to. Seriously, you don't have to. <laughs> Perfect. If I go listen to Mo's podcast, yeah. it's a wonderful idea. We're playing a game called Gift Master. This is how we play. I'm going to tell you three gifts, th three things you can give away, and then three celebrities. You're going to tell me which celebrity you would give which gift and why. Oh, I love Does that. that make perfect sense? Yeah, I love that. Okay, the three gifts you'll be giving today are, number one, a cereal dispenser, number two, a stylish handbag, and number three, a nonprofit under investigation. So you'll be giving them to Adam Brody, Raven Simone, and Errol Morris. How do you feel about that? Well, I mean, I think the obvious, the nonprofit under investigation, I think you probably would give to Errol Morris. I think it just makes sense because I know that he'll be able, he'll do a 
terrific, compelling, hour and a half long interview, just single shot of someone probably explaining why the nonprofit that they're running <laughs> is under investigation. Yeah. So I think he could get the, the person responsible. There, just yeah. Full it, yes. explanation. Yes. And it will look really great. It'll look amazing. It'll look amazing. And I'll think- An accountant think, has never been more fascinating. Yeah, it, it, yes, exactly. Yes. No. Uh, it, yeah. And I'll think, I'm just looking at this one person's face for an hour and a half, but this is really well done. And we needed these answers anyway. We needed these answers anyway. So the cereal dispenser and the stylish handbag, I've got mm -hmm. Adam Brody. Now- was he the one in the OC or the one in the pianist? He was. Oh, interesting. I wish he was in the pianist. He was in the OC. Oh, he's in the OC. He okay. played, you know, the the teen protagonist of the OC. You know, he was the guy that is not aggressively good looking. He's like normal good looking, right? Kind of um, record store good looking. Well, because I remember I once did a a gig which was for. Axe body spray. <laughs> was it body spray or deodorant? And they kept saying, I swear to you, our prototype of the, and the person they used as a model, I swear to you, was Adam Brody, because they didn't want to use a guy in commercials that was so perfect looking right. that it would make you feel alienated mm -hmm. as a potential consumer. They wanted somebody who was like kind of tussled and cute but more in the normal realm. Right. As opposed to the LA kind of freak category of what lab were you created in? Mm -hmm. And I feel like the cereal dispenser is the right thing to give him because that would fit. I could see him spraying on some ax and having a bowl of cereal. <laughs> I don't know what, probably he should throw in the ax before he has a cereal and then goes off to school. I want to keep Adam Brody as a teenager because that's how we remember him. What, is he like 50 now? <laughs> <laughs> he just celebrated his 75th. He just Happy says, birthday, Adam. Yes. No, I... I uh, it, it, he's hanging in there. He's ready for his fourth chapter. He's, re he's, re he's ready for his fourth chapter. He's I can really... For whatever reason, I can really easily picture him eating cereal. Like um, with a mouthful of cereal yeah. standing... Maybe he did that in the OC or something. But I have a distinct visual image of Adam Brody eating cereal. And I bet he could do it without being gross. I have a colleague at, at CBS Sunday Morning where I work who says she doesn't like in interviews for the activity to be eating. She just thinks it's gross to watch people eat on camera. As an interviewer, I don't mind it because the person is oftentimes, is more easily disarmed because it's not, you're just not, you know, it's, there. there's an activity going on. Right. Um, but I feel like Adam Brody could eat cereal in a way that's, I, he could do it in a charming way. Right. Yeah. He he has the look, the figure of someone who's always got a bowl of cereal, fun cereal in his hands. Right. Not too crunchy because I don't think he has his original teeth. <laughs> he has a total of four fake teeth. Yeah. At and this point. Yeah. He's yeah. just trying trying his best. But you know, the Academy will be so happy to welcome him back for <laughs> that lifetime their, achievement. Right. Well, maybe the Irving Thalberg, if he's, I, ho I hope he's been actually doing something with all these years in retirement for other people and not just, you know, playing golf. Um, and I'm going to give the handbag to Raven Simone for a very, very personal reason. So I did something called 
the twenty four hour musicals, which is oh right, yeah, and, and and they may do it in they may do it in L A now. In fact, I think they do. Where this was in New York, and I've done it a few times, but this time was many years ago, and it was me. And basically, you have twenty four hours to put together a short musical, and. Our musical, I was randomly placed with Raven Simone, the great Katie Huffman, who won a Tony for the producers. I'm sorry that I can't remember who the fourth person was. And our director was Kathleen Turner. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she's great. And it was really crazy because I'd just come from a party. I swear to you, one of the most insane parties I'd ever been to. And I'm not like a party goer, really. But I was invited to a Super Bowl viewing party. And I ended up sitting next to Deborah Winger and then Glenn Close was across from us. Oh, and what? and then later that night, I suddenly was meeting with Kathleen Turner. I thought, this is like my day of 1980s iconic actresses who never won an Oscar, who all were <laughs> multiple nominees. But they, and they all are deserving of their Oscars at right, one point. Right, of course. Yeah, but anyway, but so it was me, Katie Huffman, Raven Simone, and another very talented person whose name I can't remember. And Kathleen Turner was directing us and we had 24 hours to put together this short musical. But for the first half of the day, Kathleen Turner would say, my darling Raven, my darling Raven. And at some point in the <laughs> middle of the day, she just one point something switched and she went, my sweet Simone, my sweet Simone. <laughs> so she went from my darling Raven to my sweet Simone. Do you think she started thinking mentally? Oh, I've said my darling Raven too many times. It's gonna... Well, I think that she suddenly got confused and she went, wait, is her first name Raven or her first name is Simone? And she just switched. And like, it's like the train jumped the tracks and then she just <laughs> stayed on that track that whole time. And Raven Simone never corrected her. But I also, and I'm, Raven Simone is so talented, but I felt like Raven Simone didn't like me because at one point, Raven Simone was bonding with Katie Huffman and this other actress who I can't remember, who I really liked a lot, who looked like Tig Notaro, And I wonder if it was Tig Notaro. Alicia Witt. Oh my God, was it Alicia Witt? Are you looking it up right now? Yeah, Alicia Witt. It was Alicia Witt. I really liked her. And, but at one point, like, I felt left out. The other three oh, no, you were, were bonding oh, awful a feeling. lot. And I suddenly started getting a complex. And mind you, it was only 24 hours, but it felt like a lifetime. <laughs> and it, they call it 24 hours, but for the actors, it's really only 12 hours. It was a go, you know, anyway, mm-hmm. we had to sleep. But 24 hours from the assignment to the actual performance. And so Raven was bonding with Alicia Witt and with Katie Huffman. And I wanted to sort of get in on the action. So I said to Raven Simone, wow, you should do more theater. And she turned around to me and she said, I'm a TV girl. <laughs> and, oh, no. and I went, no, no, I think you should continue doing TV. And, but I think you could also do theater too. And I just, I felt so deflated and she turned back around and it was just a three and pick a little talk, a little pick a little talk, beep, beep, you know. Anyway, they were having their own thing. So this is all to say that I'm going to give the most, the nicest gift, the prized handbag to Raven Simone so that she'll like me, so that she will be my darling Raven and sweet Simone. One final desperate attempt for her friendship. Yes. Yes. It's not, it's, you know, it's never too late. It's It's never never too late to send a stylish handbag. To Raven Simone. (laughs) She's probably sitting at home waiting for the knock at the door for that handbag. Yes. Because all these years I thought I was not being passive aggressive. I wasn't going, you should probably stick with theater. I wasn't (laughs) saying that. I was going, you should do more theater. That's a compliment. Because we've never seen her on stage and I thought she was really good. Yeah. Yeah. She must have been, she was probably in a tender area of her career. I think so. But I, listen, I want to be really clear if she's listening right now. I want her on all platforms. (laughs) 
Raven, reach out. You got to get on the podcast. The line platform. is open. The line the li- is always open. It's always open. I'm three hours <laughs> ahead. And so don't call like after 9 p.m. <laughs> so. Wow. Well, I can't wait for you to rekindle this rocky relationship with Raven. God, take her I, out to dinner. Yeah. They bring out the dessert. She sticks her fork in and then realizes it's a handbag. So uh, sweet. I hope so. And I hope she doesn't go, handbag, I've got pockets. <laughs> <laughs> Beautifully played. I mean, so gorgeously played. I I couldn't say more about it. And Raven, again, reach out. Okay, this is the final segment of the podcast. It's called I Said No Emails. People write in to I Said No Gifts at gmail.com. People have got so many questions. They need answers. So I do my part. I answer the questions. I try. And I succeed every time. Would you help me? Of course. Mr. Weiniger and guest... Christmas is coming, and every year my mother and my siblings and I get into a tiff about a gift for my mom's boyfriend. This is a man my mom has been dating for nine years, but they have only lived together the last two. We don't love spending time with him. He's prone to complaining and doesn't seem to take a large interest in us, my siblings and I, either. Uh, We all tolerate him, though, and feel like this should be enough. My mom thinks we need to buy a Christmas gift every year to show how much we like him, and we just don't want to. Do we need to, Bridger? And if so, what should we get this man? The last time we got him a gift, he complained that it was the wrong one, even though we bought him what he asked for. Parentheses, a level. So I guess they bought him a level. Thank you, Jenna. Okay, so Jenna, mom's boyfriend, has been in the picture for a long time. The kids all hate him. Doesn't even seem like the mom likes him that much. And now they've tried one pathetic attempt to get him a gift, which is a level. That feels like if you opened a box and found a level, that would feel like a mistake. Something went wrong. So what do Jenna and the kids get? Uh, I don't know what his name is. Pete? Pete, yeah. Pete stepped into their lives. and God, I don't know. I suddenly want to see pictures of him. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I'm just imagining, like, why is the mother keeping him around if he's so surly? Right. All of the kids are against him. And I assume there are probably 10 to 12 children. A lot of kids. Yeah. And for if you've got 12 kids saying this guy's a jerk, you got to start thinking about things. What can they get him? He didn't like the level. <laughs> I love a level. That's one of those those tools as a kid. It's probably, that was probably the one tool I loved in my father's tool chest. Because it's, so, it's fun. To it's l- delightful. It's a toy. Bubble. It's, it's so it satisfying. It is a toy. It's fantastic. And when it, it's telling you things are level, it means you've, you're a success. Well, exactly. It and feels, it's got the neon green, which is so much fun. Mm, I love a level. <laughs> I love a level. Um, I don't. How had this man not just gone out and bought himself a level? A level is between $10 and $30. That's certainly something Pete could have just bought. I wonder if they should. You know what? I think that probably they should have had the level engraved. I think if you're just handed a level without an inscription, it doesn't really mean anything. But I think they should have said, on the level, we love you. (laughs) Right. And tears in his eyes. Yeah. I think you look at it. It is sort of like, if someone gives me a book, and I I really do immediately go to the title page because I want to see what they wrote. So if somebody gave me, if my girlfriend's kids gave me a level without an inscription, I think the first thing I'd say is, how did I end up with a girlfriend? And 
who are these people giving me a, a level? A very different path you've gone down. Yes. There's been a huge misunderstanding here. I'm so sorry if I misled anyone here. This is why the kids don't want you around because you don't want to be with the mom. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, but if, if if I were in that situation, I would – the level I, – I would want something written on it. I would want it engraved. Right. And I mean let's say you forget it at the gym. Then the gym can call you. Well, Mo, you left your level here. Oh, wait, why would you bring a level to a well, gym? Well, you're taking your level everywhere. Oh, You've I think got it's to have it. Well, also, it's probably a good idea because if you're doing a bench press, and oh, sure. that always used to scare me. And trust me, there were not a lot of plates on the bar. But the the idea of one sliding off and then the whole oh. thing come, yeah. The only thing worse was, I, can, I, I am having a memory. There was a place in New York in the 20s, not in the 1920s, but in the streets in the 20s, <laughs> that was so cheap for personal trainers, something outrageously. It, it was must have been a scam going on. So I went as long as I could before the whole thing shut down. And I think that I'm pretty sure that the trainer they gave me was an ex-con. And this guy, I had the bench, the barbell. I was doing a bench press. And it was as it was going down, my arms started trembling. And right. there's that moment of fear of like, oh my God. Not my a, windpipe's about to be crushed. Exactly. You're not gonna be decapitated, but like it's oh. gonna I'm gonna die. And I remember the guy from above, I can still remember his face. He was like a Samuel L. Jackson character, but sorry, he was like over his, going. <laughs> You're calling me a pussy like over and over <laughs> That's again. That's not helping anything. Yes. And I remember I kind of wanted to start laughing. <laughs> like he was – I mean it's like this is – because it was so outrageous that, that he was like you – because you can't lift that. You are a pussy. And he just kept calling me a pussy. And like – and my arms, He's about they to were turning – die. Yes, my arms were turning into spaghetti. You know what I'm talking about? They start wobbling. Of it's like, a horrifying feeling. It's a horrifying feeling. Your body's about to give up on you. Yes, completely. And the last thing I'm going to hear on this earth is this trainer <laughs> – with a single gold tooth calling me a pussy? <laughs> Not a bad way to go. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there, are, uh, there are worse ways to die. Yeah. But anyway, I'd say inscribe the level. <laughs> perfect. Absolutely perfect. Just get him an another level. You can always use two levels. One's in the glove box. One's at home. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one's in your carry-on. You yeah. know, it's like phone chargers. You oh, I think it's – yes, absolutely. Your at-home level. Yeah. You should yeah, have a level, travel level everywhere. Yeah. Handbag, what have you. That's a perfect gift. I mean, I, d I don't see any problem with that. And I'm sure Pete will – this is going to mend things for the family. He's going to probably end up adopting all 12 kids – and what a lovely ending to this group. Yeah, I think it will be a – yes, I think it could be a successful blended family. <laughs> but only if the level is engraved. Yeah, I think so. And look, I, yes, I think it's just you just get a little plate that you screw on the top of the level, which of course – We'll screw up the level, the level. Now it doesn't work. It's simply not the tool it's supposed to be. We just have to find a place to put the nameplate, the inscription, so that the level actually can do its job. Right. Because then Pete is going to go apeshit. <laughs> okay, well, we answered that perfectly. I mean, Jenna can't complain. And if she does, she's going to have to find a new podcast to listen to. I mean, there are at least four other ones out there. Oh, exactly. I'm and sure Raven Simone has one. <laughs> Raven's probably starting a revenge podcast revenge. right now. Oh, that is – when are we going to start hearing about revenge podcasts? <laughs> got, uh, maybe, maybe that's our next adventure. 
I would love to have a revenge podcast. <laughs> there, there are so many podcasts. There has to be room for a revenge podcast. The hot new genre of yes, and then I can do a morning show segment on it. They're the hottest new thing, and they have people up in arms. Revenge podcasts. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, Mo. I mean, I've got this uh, towel that is just, I mean, it's historic. It's an, an artifact. And now it's in my home. It, it it really is. And I just, all I ask is that if anyone associated with the Beverly Wilshire is listening to this podcast. Well, they're probably taking inventory right now and they're thinking. Right, What's right. Happening? Yeah. I, I wonder what the statute of limitations on this is. <laughs> <laughs> Could you maybe wait to release this podcast in three years? <laughs> A decade from now, this is going to hit the airwaves and you'll be fine. You'll be- I'll be fine. I'll be in the clear. I'll be in the clear. Um, well, thank you for this. Thank you for coming. This was nice time. so much fun. And again, Raven, reach out. Yeah, Raven, reach out. Can I take the bag back with me? You can absolutely take the yeah, bag. and I might tissue, need the tissue. Take whatever you want. Okay, I'm going to take the tissue too. Listener, the podcast is screeching to a halt. Uh, you didn't expect this. You weren't planning on it. Now you're freaking out, but that's not my problem. I love you. Goodbye. I Said No Gifts is an exactly right production. It's produced by our dear friend Annalise Nelson, and it's beautifully mixed by Ben Tolliday. And we couldn't do it without our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. The theme song, of course, could only come from miracle worker Amy Mann. You must follow the show on Instagram at I Said No Gifts. I don't want to hear any excuses. That's where you get to see pictures of all these gorgeous gifts I'm getting. And don't you want to see pictures of the gifts? But I invited you here Thought I made myself perfectly clear When you're a guest in my home You gotta come to me empty-handed I said no gifts Your presence is presence enough And I already had too much stuff So how do you dare disobey? Follow I Said No Gifts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I really don't care. Just don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate and review the show. It's the least you can do. It really is. It's the bare minimum. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase I Said No Gifts merch. What a wonderful way to support the show. Support the show.